God bless you. Would you please stand? important that today and especially tomorrow we remember why we are able to come to church this morning. We remember why we are able to get up and get ourselves prepared, have our breakfast, our coffee, look out the window and see beautiful sunshine and beautiful lawns and beautiful landscape. Get in our car on a Sunday morning, drive with our family to church, so peaceful. We sit here in this beautiful auditorium today and we enjoy so many comforts. We worship the Lord today without fear of someone breaking in and taking away this such important part of our lives. We get up in the morning. Most of us have tomorrow off, maybe not all of us. Get up and uh, get ready, sleep a little later maybe. Later in the day, fire up that grill, you know. We sit there and enjoy our family and enjoy our friends coming over. The reason for that is because somebody's on the wall. Somebody's standing on the wall, armed to the hilt, God bless him. Watching over us, protecting us. Some of them died protecting you, protecting the freedom, the liberty that we enjoy right here this morning. We live in a twisted society. When we begin to talk about putting our soldiers on trial, and making them vulnerable to the courts of the world. Have we lost our minds? I think a few people have. Can I just talk about this a little bit? Y'all all right? Everybody all right? I just don't understand it. Jesus said in the last days, though, that what's common sense would be looked on as foolish. And what is truly foolish and ridiculous will be looked on as what is normal. We live there. <laughs> We're living in that day. I want to tell you that uh, I appreciate uh, those who serve. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. <clears throat> um, first of all, could I just have everybody stand who is not presently serving but have served in the past? All of you who... Um, are, have served in the past. Yeah. Thank you guys and gals, ladies and gentlemen. Those of you who are currently serving, can I get you to stand up? Let us see you. You're currently serving. Yeah. Woo. 
God bless you. <laughs> I, you know, patriotism, I guess, is out of date now. It's not cool anymore to be patriotic, but I'm just a red-blooded, flag-waving American. Now, now, you know, America's not my savior. I don't worship America. Um, and, and America's not perfect. We've made some mistakes. We're making some right now, <laughs> as a matter of fact. But I love my country. And when you look at what this country has done for other nations, which doesn't get reported by the media, who sometimes I think hates our country. I'm just going way too far this morning, aren't I? Um, <clears throat> I'm just amazed at the, at the antagonistic attitude toward this great nation. We feed more hungry people. We, we are helping people covertly that nobody even knows we're helping because we know it wouldn't be politically correct to put out there that we're helping these people. And um, I just love this country, and I, and I just thank God for the people who, who protect our freedoms today. I didn't mean to get all preachy right there, okay? But I just, I just want everybody to know where I'm at on that. <clears throat> Let's talk about church to the max. Um, over the last few weeks, we've been uh, evaluating ourselves as a church, and we've been asking questions like, how do we reach our maximum potential as a church? And what are the qualities God is looking for in a church that would allow him to use that church to its maximum capacity? Jesus said, if you want to be a great church, in John 13, 34, and 35, he said, you've got to love each other above all things. And this is reiterated throughout the scripture, especially in 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul said, without love, it really doesn't matter what else you do. If love is not your motivation, if you are not doing what you're doing as a church out of love, then you're just making a noise. You can read that in your Bible in your spare time, um, 1 Corinthians 13. But Jesus said in John 13, 34, 35, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. And this is a reoccurring theme all through the scriptures. Jesus says, I'm your example. Love each other as I have loved you. So you must love one another. This is not a suggestion to us. It is foundational to our ministry as a church and to our ministry as individuals in the body of Christ. Jesus said, if you will love each other this way, men outside the church, men who have not yet come to receive me yet, they will see you loving one another and they will know you are mine. They will know you belong to me. They will know you are my followers. They will know you are my disciples. And let me tell you again why they will know that, if you love one another. So we ask, why is love the number one priority? Jesus says to us throughout the scriptures, he says, I'm, I'm all about life change. Change lives, that's the true measure of a successful church. How many lives are being changed for good in God. And he says, life change happens best in an environment where the people love one another. And I'm going to send you unbelievers, and I'm going to send you new believers, Jesus says, and I'm going to send you 
broken believers and damaged believers, and I'm going to send you recovering believers and hurting believers. But I'm not going to send them to you unless you love one another. How can you love the people, Jesus says, that I would send to you if you can't love each other? Love one another. Life change happens best in an environment of love. And then we found that the second reason love is so important is because out of love comes trust. As a church, as a body, as a corporate body called Whitley, out of love comes trust, and out of trust comes cooperation. And out of cooperation comes coordination, and we begin to work together because we trust each other. Not because we are perfect, not because nobody's ever hurt or nobody's ever offended or nobody ever bumps into another believer. No, but we handle it the way Jesus said we should handle it. So therefore the church works. It works effectively. I tell you, this message, not because I'm the preacher, but this message is so important because what I'm preaching on and what I've been preaching on for the past few weeks really when you think about it, when a church falls apart, when a church disintegrates, when a church just comes apart at the seams, it is here where it comes apart in this area of love. We love God, but it is, it is getting along and functioning together with one another that is the challenge. I've made a couple of statements throughout this series, and I've said it every time, and I want to drive these home again. Because if you were to ask me, Pastor Farrell, today is the last sermon in the series, and next Sunday our whole staff will be up here, and we're going to answer questions that you all have sent in. We can't answer all of them, and the ones we don't get to we'll put on the website. But, but we're going to sit up here and respond to some things you've asked us. So, so this is the last sermon, and if you were to ask me, Pastor, what do you want me to take home? What, if, if I were to ask you, Pastor what you wanted me to remember about this sermon about if I could just wrap it up in a couple of sentences what would it be here they are here here are those sentences when we love each other with John 13 34 35 love here's what I want you to get here's what I want you to remember there is no limit to what this church can do when we love each other and I love all the things God has given us. And I love all the resources. And I love all the, all the, you know, the little different tools that we have and, and how we're able to do church in a way that I hope is not boring for you. But when you leave, it makes you glad you came and you want to come back the next week. That's very important. But I've got to tell you something. Above all of those kinds of things, it's love that, that creates a situation where there's no limit to what God can do through us, what we can achieve and what we can accomplish. How this church loves each other will determine our future. How we love one another will determine our future potential as a church and how much God can use us in the future to accomplish His will and purposes. That's what I want you to remember. See, we can never put this love to the side. And we're going to find out in just a minute, sometimes loving each other doesn't feel like love. Sometimes the thing we have to do to love each other doesn't feel like you know, love. Love isn't always cuddly and sweet and, you know, makes everybody feel great. Sometimes love demands that we do things that feel awkward and uncomfortable. 
So we look at John 13, 34, 35, and we say, Jesus, we hear you. You tell us to love each other. Lord, would you please go into detail about what that looks like? And we went a little deeper, and we looked up all the verses that say one another, one another, and we found most of them in the epistles, which are the letters that the apostles wrote to the churches. And we found all through the Bible, one another this, one another that, treat one another this way, don't treat one another that way, um, do this for one another, don't do that to one another. All through the Bible, again, mostly right there at the end of the Bible, in those last few books at the end of the Bible. And, and we found, or what I found, looked like these things came under seven categories. And the first one was acceptance, and we talked about accepting one another. And you can listen to these messages online, or you can purchase them if you didn't get to hear them. The second thing was, not only do we need to accept one another, we need to forgive one another. And then we talked about caring for one another and what that means. The fourth category we talked about last week, and that was teaching one another. You know, who is a better Christian because they know me? Is my wife a better Christian because she married me? Is my husband a better Christian because he married me? Where are our children with God? Have we affected the lives of our children because we are their parents? What would Jesus do differently if he came back and took my place in my life? How would he change? How would he change how I'm living my life? And then the fifth category we talked about last week was that part of love that doesn't feel so much like love when we said you have to encourage one another and when you read the word encourage, you immediately think that it means patting each other on the back and saying, man, you can do it and don't give up. And that is encouragement and, and that's a kind of encouragement. But the one we talked about last week is really not that kind of encouragement. This word encouragement means to exhort. It means to hold accountable. And again, this doesn't feel like love because this is that love that says, I love you so much, I can't let you keep going in that direction. I love you so much, I cannot sit by on the sidelines and not risk offending you by just letting you go away from God. This is the kind of love, this encouragement we talked about last week that gives you the right as a believer to say to another believer, hey man, where are you, whoa, whoa, where are you going? Where are you going, dude? What? You can't go down that path. We, we owe that to each other. I've been on the receiving end of both of those. I've had people come along and go, Pastor, man, I love you and I know you're pastor, but I can just tell something's going on with you and I, I need you to think about what you're doing, what you're saying. I've had that happen in my ministry. And you know the first time you hear that, you want to defend, you want to, but then I saw it was a heart of love and it made me reevaluate and go, what? You know what? You're right. Thank you so much. And for me to have to do that in the, in the life of someone else, it doesn't feel good. It's awkward. But I'm telling you, if we don't get this thing down, this accountability thing, we're sunk. If, if, if our love is so thin and we're all so easily offended that we can't hold each other accountable, then sin is going to go on a rampage. Because that's our nature. Our nature is not to go toward God. Our nature is to go away from God. So we have to be very active in this area of love where we go, hey man, you're drifting. 
You're drifting, and didn't I tell you last week that when you drift in your walk with God, you never drift toward God? You always drift away from God. So we've got to hold each other accountable. Does this make sense to you today? Now, in this final message, I want to give you two more very quickly. And I know what time it is, and it doesn't matter. I want to give you the sixth and seventh qualities of or characteristics of this love Jesus was talking about in John 13, 34, 35. Today, we're going to talk about serve one another and submit to one another. Serve and submit. So we're going to have fun today. Um, you know, today's Memorial Day, and I was looking at my video clip, and I, go, I went, you know, I've got a... I need to have a video clip that does something with Memorial Day because, boy, we're not going to let that pass by without making that a big deal. But I also need to make, you know, make sure we give the illustration of serving and submitting. And I thought, what better day to talk about serving and submitting than weekend of Memorial Day? Because that's what being a soldier or an airman is all about. It's about submitting to authority and serving a heart of a servant. Hear this message today as the Lord speaks to us. Let's talk about serving and then we'll talk about submitting. And these things overlap each other, but they're also distinctive. And we'll give you um, how they're distinctive. Galatians 5.13 says, For you have been called to live in freedom. Somebody say, hallelujah. <laughs> We've been called to live in freedom. Isn't that good? What a great verse for Memorial Day weekend. We've been called to live in freedom. Not freedom to satisfy your sinful nature, but freedom to serve one another. How? In love. Now, i got to tell you, all the way we've done church in the past, and I've been a preacher since I was 17, and I've been a pastor since I was 19, and i got to tell you something. I have not always thought of freedom to serve. I, we, we've kind of done it, you know, in the old days. We bind you to serve. <laughs> We're like, get in there with those junior high kids. Lock the door, somebody. You got a pulse? Yes. Go in there with those junior high boys. <laughs> Here's a gun. Um, but Jesus talks, Paul talks here about a freedom to serve. Now we're in John 13, 34, 35, but if you put it in reverse and back up to John 13, 1 through 17, you will find the greatest act of service right in this same chapter ever, in my estimation, recorded in the Bible, when our Savior our Lord put a towel around his waist and got down on his knees <clears throat> and washed the feet of men he created. Washed the feet of men he made. What an act of service. What an act of submission. Now let's think about the setting of this where Jesus washed their feet. What, what was going on? Well, Jesus knew that his time on earth was ending. I mean, Jesus, when he did this, this foot washing deal, he was in the shadow of the cross. He was very close to the time of humiliation and suffering and pain and agony. And can I just throw this in real quick? Do you know, 
the Bible indicates that Jesus knew from a child why he was on this earth. You know, his dad was a carpenter. Or his earthly dad, his adopted dad, was a carpenter. And I think every time Jesus, as a little boy, picked up a nail, it reminded him of the nails that one day would be driven in his hands and feet. I think every time out playing with other little boys, he would prick his finger on a thorn, it would remind him of a crown of thorns he would wear one day. The Bible says he knew from a child up what was going to happen. And now he is close to this. <clears throat> He's about 33 years old. 33 and a half years old. He knew this was the last time he would be with all of his disciples like this. So knowing the cross is right there and knowing this is the last time he's going to be with his disciples like this, what's foremost on his mind? What, what's on Jesus' mind at that moment? What is the thing that Jesus is, is processing and saying, what do I want to leave with these disciples? I mean, this is the last time I'm going to be with them like this. They don't know it, but I know it. This is the last time I'm going to really be able to drive home a lesson. What do I want to leave with them? What do I want to teach them? And what was foremost on his mind right there at the very end, right before the cross, was his love for his followers. If you are following him this morning, can I tell you, he loves you more than you could ever know. It wasn't about him. It wasn't about what he was going to suffer and them understanding that or him saying, do you guys know what I'm about to go through? Do you know what I'm about to face? It wasn't about that. It was all about them. It was all about showing them a lesson of humility. Showing them a lesson of serving one another. Jesus taught them that loving your neighbor as yourself is second only to the commandment that says love the Lord with all of your heart and all of your mind and everything that is in you. And the second commandment is likened to it, Jesus said. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus knew that if these disciples were going to fulfill the mission that he was going to leave with them when he ascended into heaven, he knew if they were going to fulfill that, that they would need to learn humility. He knew that they would need to learn service. He knew, Jesus knew, that pride and arrogance would ruin their relationship with God. He knew that pride and arrogance would ruin their relationship with each other. He knew that pride and arrogance would ruin their reputation in the community. So he said, if you are going to fulfill the mission I'm going to leave with you, then I've got to show you and teach you what it means to serve one another because humility and service is the evidence of love. And Jesus showed humility by doing a task that nobody else wanted to do. I could go into detail about all of the, all of the cultural facts around foot washing, but just suffice it to say this morning that the person who washed the feet, when you walked into a home in that culture, in that eastern culture, when you walked into a home, there was a, a person who was the lowest ranking person in the house, the lowest ranking servant, the lowest rank slave in the house was the one who washed the feet of strangers when they would come in the house. 
And here is Jesus with a towel around his waist doing the lowest, dirtiest job there is. Earlier, the disciples had argued about which one of them would be greatest in the kingdom. That's just like us, isn't it? Jesus is washing feet and we're saying, I think I'm going to be greater than you when we get there. Jesus had not answered them in the way that they expected. He had answered them by saying that the greatest people are not the warriors and the leaders and the heroes and the ones who everybody pats on the back and honors. Jesus said the greatest people have a heart like a little child. Jesus said the great people are the ones who seem to the world to be powerless. The greatest people are the ones who are obedient and humble. And look who was there that day when Jesus was washing the feet of the disciples. You do know Judas had not left yet. Judas was still there. And Jesus knelt down at the feet of his betrayer. The one he knew would betray him. The one he knew would run from the Last Supper and gather up the few coins that he had been paid off with and come back and betray him with a kiss on the cheek. Jesus, listen, listen, put himself in a position of servitude to his betrayer. We, we worry, you know, we sit around, and, I, and, and you know, we've all done it, and we, want, we wonder, who is worthy of my service? I'm going to serve out there at that church, but <clears throat> I wonder if so-and-so over there is really worthy. Of... That's so different than Jesus. We should not ever waste our energy worrying about how we compare to others or whether somebody's worthy of our service. It is not our job to judge whether somebody is worthy of us submitting to them or worthy of us serving them. It is our responsibility to feel the need of anybody we encounter. That's our responsibility. And God's going to send some people to you to test you. Do you hear me? He's going to send some people to you to test you on this. You know, sometimes as a church, we kind of get proud and we go, you know, we're pretty good. We go to the prison and we go out on the street and we don't just minister here at Whitley, but we minister to anybody and we get proud of our humility. I'm humble and quite proud of it. We get like that as a church. So God goes, oh, you are humble, are you? And when God ever says that, do you go, no, no, sir. Just stand, because he's about to show, he's about to test you. He will send you somebody. He will send you a family. He will send you an individual into your life. And he'll say, serve them. The Bible says, therefore, in John 4, 17, therefore to him that knows to do good, that knows to serve, that knows it is the responsibility of a Christian to serve whoever God sends to you, but he doesn't do it. To him it is a what? It's hard to say, isn't it? I hate that word. But the Bible's clear. Let's talk about submission as we close this sermon, which means what? Absolutely nothing. Ephesians 5.21 says, submit to one another. Why? Why should I submit to John Craig? 
Why should I submit to Brian? Why should I? I mean, I'm senior pastor of this church. Why should I submit to Michael? Why should I submit to anybody? Out of reverence for Christ. Out of reverence for Christ. Some of you, and I'm going to say something really strong right here. Don't, Don't be offended. Some of you would get along a lot better on your job if you would stop resenting your boss and stop resenting what your boss is making you do or what position your boss is putting you in and start serving as if you're serving the Lord. You say, well, he is definitely not the Lord. As a matter of fact, Pastor, I think I've seen little horns on his head under his hair. I understand that. But the Bible says, do what you do as unto the Lord. And when you do what you do as unto the Lord, that means you humble yourself, you serve people, you submit to people who are not like Jesus at all, but you say it doesn't matter if they're like Jesus, I have to be like Jesus. And I'm not talking about being a doormat to somebody, and there is a time to stand up for yourself and all of that, but there's a way to do that that is also like Jesus. But I'm saying that that when you humble yourself, you get exalted. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus humbled himself. He humbled himself to death, to give himself in death. And then the Bible says, but he didn't just humble himself to die. He humbled himself to die a death, even the death of the cross. And the reason the writer Paul points that out is because the death of the cross was such a humiliating death. It was not just painful and and torturous, it was humiliating. We see these pictures of Jesus, and I, I know people don't like to think about this, but he's got on robes and he's got on all, I'm telling you, Jesus was humiliated that day. He was humiliated thoroughly that day. But the Bible says that because Jesus humbled himself to die, even the death of the cross, therefore he has been given what? A name that is where? Above every name. Because he humbled himself, he has been given a name above every name, a name that if you are going to heaven, you will have to bow to that name, a name that People mock and laugh at, but one day even their knee will bow and say there is only one God and it is the Lord Jesus. I just feel like I need to preach right here just a minute. You do understand everybody's going to bow to Jesus. You do understand Saddam Hussein will say Jesus is Lord. You understand that. That's too late for him. It's going to be too late for a lot of people But everyone will have the revelation clearly given to them that there is only one true and living God, and that is Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus is Christ. And they will cry out and say, I believe, I believe, I believe. Everybody's going to do that. Everybody's going to do it. But some will do it before it's too late, and some will do it after it's too late. But everybody's going to do it. So it just makes sense to me to do it now. Because you're going to do it. The Bible says, how many knees will bow? 
How many, how many will proclaim he is Lord? Everybody, every tongue. And why did Jesus get given? Why did he, why did it get given? Y'all write that down. Why did Jesus receive from the Father such a high position? Humble servant. You know what it says in the book of Psalms? It says that promotion doesn't come from the south, the east, or the west. And then that verse just goes on. Well, if you just think about that, then where does it come, does, where does it come from? So there's one direction that was left out. What was it? North. So when you study that, you find out that the north gate is the gate Jesus went out of with the cross on his back. So promotion comes from the north gate, the gate of service, the gate of humility, the gate of sacrifice. That's how you get promoted. See, God's system is totally opposite of the world system. The world system says, dude, if you want to be on the top of the totem pole, you better step on some people, hurt some people, crush some people to get up there. Jesus says, no, 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 no. Jesus says, bear my cross. Humble yourself. Go through the north gate of sacrifice, and you will receive promotion. It says it in the Bible. Promotion doesn't come from the east, the west, or the south promotion, which most of us, you know, let's face it, we, we want to move up. That comes from sacrifice, from service, from humility. Does that make sense? So he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then in the, in the God's Word paraphrase, it says, place yourself under each other's authority. Place yourself under each other's authority out of respect for Christ. What does that mean? Well, here's a verse that kind of explains that verse. Philippians 2 and 3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. This sermon's getting easier and easier, isn't it? I mean, you guys, that's just so easy to consider other people better than yourself. But this is the way we become like Jesus. This is the way we subject ourselves to one another. This is the way we submit ourselves to one another and consider others by, by considering others more important than ourselves. The Bible says to women, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. This is the same word because, you know, we always bring up that verse about submission when we talk about the woman submitting to the man and letting the man be the spiritual leader. Here's what that means in your house, guys. It means you are the pastor of your house. You are the and the, being the pastor of your house means that you keep your finger on the spiritual pulse of your family. Now, they may not be where they ought to be, but you know that. You're aware of that. You can't decide for your family, but you keep your finger on the pulse so you know how to pray and so you know how to speak to them and you know how to lead them. And you're also a prophet in your house. And what did the prophet in the Old Testament do? He spoke to the people about God so that the man in the house is supposed to speak to his family about God. And then he's supposed to be a priest in his house, pastor, prophet, and priest. And the priest spoke to God about the people. So that means you're to be a man of prayer, and you're to be a man of proclamation, and you're to be a pastor in your house. Okay? Now, the Bible says that a woman ought to submit to her husband, but it says that the man ought to love the wife as Jesus loved the church, and Jesus loved the church so much that he died for it, and I've never met a woman who wouldn't submit to a man who would die for her. So, 
it's important to understand that God doesn't just tell wives to submit to their husband. God turns around and says every member of the body of Christ is responsible to subject and submit themselves to every other member of the body of Christ. So there are times when Pastor Farrell is the leader, and then there are times when I come under another person here at the church. If I go to the bridge like I did yesterday to work, when I walk in, I am not the leader because I have no idea how to do anything there. I walked in yesterday and I said, Jim Gilligan, sir, I am here to serve. He said, there's a broom. I'm good at that. So I cleaned up the whole time I was there because I don't know how to. The other guys were drilling holes and sawing stuff and hooking wires up. And the bridge would already be burned down had I hooked up any wires. And I'd be in the hospital. <laughs> so that's when I, I go. And then when we come here in a setting here, it might be Pastor. Jim comes in, Pastor, what do you need? But then I go with Jim Bryant to an outreach event that he's planned and he's put together and he's made a leadership team. And when I walk into that outreach event, I'm Pastor Jimmy, what do you need me to do? I'm under you today, sir. We submit to one another. When I have a need and you have a need and our needs conflict, what this is actually talking about is when, we, when our needs bump into each other, how are we going to handle that? This is where it's at. I've got to finish this sermon. But this is where it's at. How we handle things when our needs bump up against each other. Here's what's supposed to happen. When my needs bump up against your needs, I'm supposed to bend in your direction, and you're supposed to bend in my direction. We're not supposed to bow up against each other. That does so often happen in churches. Here's what ought to happen every Sunday at Whitley. Every Sunday at Whitley, we ought to have a backup of traffic out there under the portico with people going, you go first. No, you go. I insist you go. I know I was here before you, but I want you to go through the door first. And I need to be, I, it needs to be so bad that I walk out there and go, will you people come in so we can have church? We've got to subject to one another. Put the other person first. What do we say? What does human nature say? Because that is not our human nature. Human nature says, I want what's fair. I want what's right. I want what's just. Just. I've always sat here. I've always parked here. I've always served here. This is my parking lot. And I ain't parking my pretty car on the grass. <laughs> Pastor didn't park that piece of junk. He drives on the grass all he wants to. I'm not parking my pretty car on the grass. I mean, you didn't mean that like that, did you, Tony? <laughs> Tony was agreeing with me. I want y'all to know that. This is our parking lot. This is my classroom. This is my bulletin board, my chair, my table, my supplies. This is my room. I've always been in this room. I'm not leaving this room. You can't run me out of this room. You have to get the National Guard to get me out of this room because I've been in this room. My daddy paid money to put the sheet rock. Mine, 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 mine. It's always been and always will be. I think, you know what God does? I think God comes to Whitley every Sunday, and we're all here, and we've all got different needs, and our church is growing, so we're kind of bumping into each other, and we're going, I need that room, and I need that room, and my class outgrew, and so can we trade rooms with me? I think God just goes, he's in heaven going, I wonder how they're going to react to all this today. <laughs> I wonder how they're going to treat each other. 
to see when you are in a growing church that's moving forward and lives are being changed, you can cool believe the enemy's got plans to make you bump into other believers because he wants to stop what's going on here. And sometimes he's, he's pretty good at making little things flare up here and there to see if we can get this spirit in us where God comes on a Sunday morning and he sees opportunities for our needs to hit up against each other and God goes, what are they going to do? How are they going to react to this? And then he sees us react godly. Then he pours his spirit on us. I've got to close. Um, I want to look at Revelation chapter 2 very quickly. And I'm skipping over a whole bunch of stuff, as you can see. But Revelation chapter 2, when I thought about how do I want to really wrap up this series, Church on the Max, what do I want to say? And I, I thought I found what God wants me to say in Revelation 2. So let's look at these verses. This is a letter Jesus wrote to a church. And here's what he says to that church. He says, um, Revelation 2, 2. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. So Jesus is really building them up. He says, man, you guys do good deeds. You're not lazy. You work hard. And you persevere. When problems come up, you don't let it stop you. Jesus said, I, I, man, that's awesome. He says, not, just, not only that, he said, I know you don't tolerate wicked men. And he says, that tells me you're all into holiness and purity of life. And he says, I appreciate that about you. Then Jesus says, and I, I know that you test those who claim to be apostles, but are not. And you found some of them to be false. And he said, I like that because it tells me that you know how to test a leader. And it tells me that your primary concern about a leader is not his personality or his, or his gifts or his talents. Because I tell you something, a lot of times we follow a person because they got a great personality and they got t tons of gifts and, and, and all kinds of just things they're able to do and abilities. So we just think that must be a man of God. But I'm telling you, personality, a good personality, a charismatic personality and giftings and talents and all that stuff, that's not primary. Character. Is primary. And he said, so I look at you testing leaders. And he said, I appreciate that. He says, verse 3, you've persevered. You've endured hardships for my name. And you have not grown weary. And man, their head's just getting this big. Then Jesus says, but yet, however, I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first Remember the height from which you have fallen. And I bet they went, whoa, fallen? We work hard. We don't give up. We got the right leadership. We don't tolerate sin around here. What do you mean fallen? We're doing great. But God would respond, no, you're not doing as great as you think you are because you have forgotten how you used to love. You've forgotten the way you loved. So he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to repent. Repent means to turn your back on what is against God and look full into the face of God and follow him. He says, I want you to repent and do the first things you did at first. God's saying, remember when you first started, how fresh it was. Remember how excited you were and how sincere and authentic and genuine you were and how much you really loved each other. God says, that's what I want. God, we got these programs, and look at our buildings, and we've got an awesome staff. And God goes, I see all of that, and I'm not against that. But I want 
what your heart used to be like. That's what I want from you. That is what brings me joy is when you love the way you loved in the beginning. Jesus says, now I want to tell you how serious I am about this. And Jesus goes, I love you. I love you, but I want you to hear me. If you do not repent, I'm going to come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Now, the lampstand was a picture of the presence of God. And he says, I'm telling you right now, if you don't go back and start loving each other the way you used to love each other, I'm going to reach in there and take out my presence. Now, here's the, here's the sad thing. In a lot of churches, if the Lord withdrew his presence, programs would go on, Sunday morning services would go on, the music would go on because we got electrical things and we got technology and we got all kind of things, you know, that we, uh, that we can use to make it look like God's there. But you've been in those churches, haven't you? You've got all that stuff and you're sitting there, but something's missing. Something's missing in those churches. And I warn us this morning, I say this as a warning to us right here. The thing that's missing is the lampstand, the presence of Almighty God. Ladies and gentlemen, you can do without me. I promise you, you can do without me. If I get hit by a big bus today, I guarantee you somebody can stand up here and keep this baby going. We can do without video. We can do without air conditioning. You think you can't, but we could. We could do without it. We could do without a whole lot of things, but let me tell you something we can never do without. We can never do without the presence of Almighty God in this church. You hear me? Now, Jesus says the way we keep that is we love one another. And you can't love one another the way he demands in the Word of God unless you're right with God. Because the kind of love he's talking about is supernatural, not natural. You can't love like I've been preaching the past few weeks. You don't have the ability. But if you become as intimate with God as you possibly can with each passing day of your life, and you walk in him and let him walk in you, I'm telling you, he will give you the ability to love the way I've been preaching. And when we love like that, God shows up. God shows up. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a pastor of a church, and I know you don't want to attend a church where God doesn't show up. And we can do all the cool stuff, and we can do all the spiritual stuff, but if there's not love, 1 Corinthians 13, all we're doing is taking a a spoon and a pan, and we're just making noise. Bam, bam, bam. Love. Love. Father. Thank you for your truth today. Let it be in us. Let it change us. God, I pray, don't let us just hear this, but let us soak it in. Let us evaluate ourselves regularly. Father, burn this in us. Brand it into us that love is essential in all things.